Chapter 3. Breathe easy, breathe deep. Cleanse thou the ruim from out thine head and breathe the breath of God instead. That was Rumi, 13th century Parisian mystic and poet. Strange as it may sound, becoming ill with post-polio gave me a chance to breathe. For the first time in years, I'd become mindful of my breathing, often pausing to feel the intake and outtake of my breath. Breathing mindfully is one of the simple privileges most of us take for granted as we rush around getting things done. I was struck down by polio at 11 while spending the summer at an international religious retreat center in Elliott, Maine, called Green Acre. For me, the happiest place on earth. I played with children from around the world and snuck out of children's classes to listen to world-class speakers orating on God, prayer, the future of mankind, and other fascinating topics. Every summer, my mother, my two younger brothers, and I would stay at a cottage deep in the forest, or sometimes in a room at the inn overlooking the Piscataka River. My father drove up from New York some weekends. One day, I was playing on the spacious lawn with the other children, and I suddenly dropped to the ground with a sharp pain in the back of my neck. My throat felt tight and painful, and I was unable to swallow the tea my mother spooned into my mouth to revive me. It just came out of my nose. It wouldn't go down. A doctor was called and I was rushed to the nearest hospital in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I was placed in quarantine ward with two other children, both of whom died before my eyes. One night when my fever, fever peaked, the medical team was hours away from placing me in an iron lung. The paralysis of my throat muscles blocked speech, breathing, and swallowing. I was fighting for breath, and I had to be fed intravenously. The most immediately concerned was that my kidneys had grown sluggish and seemed to be shutting down entirely. It was at this point of toxic overload that most children with bulbar polio died. But I was one of the few fortunate ones who mysteriously took a turn for the better. The night of the crisis, an angel came to my bedside in the form of Helen Canterbury, a local nurse who was as round as she was tall, with hands like small hams. She was an old friend of my parents, whom we had met at Greenacre when I was still a baby. Helen must have slipped or bullied her way past the quarantine, for she sat beside me all night, whispering about waterfalls. 
streams, rivers, and tall glasses of lemonade. Excuse me. My breathing became normal, and I was able to take my first sip of water. I remember that my throat muscles were so slack that some of the water went up my nose. But little by little, my body remembered how to sustain itself with air, food, and drink. My voice returned gradually and was several octaves lower and has remained so for the rest of my life. Forty-four years later, I received the Ten Rules for Health to help me move beyond my second crisis with polio. I noticed that whenever I swallowed, my head automatically turned to the side, a habit I had for years while recovering from polio as a child. I had to remember to chew more carefully to avoid choking, and I needed to remember to breathe to build strength in my lungs. The second rule re reawakened my awareness of the breath of life, which, like water, is an essential element of health. Rule two, breathe, prana. Learn yoga, walk or exercise every day for 10 minutes, then 15, then 20, no more. Breathe fresh air every day. You haven't breathed deeply in years. It was true. I'd become so overwhelmed by part, by the part of our work that was anathema to me. The hundreds of emails coming in each day and growing demands to manage communication around the world. With all the accompanying administrative tasks that I was continually holding my breath, shoulders hunched up to my ears, trying to plow through each day. When I'm doing my heart's work of writing, speaking, teaching, or working with people, I breathe much easier. Do you find yourself moving through life at a breathless pace? How often are you conscious of taking a breath, of breathing fresh air deep into your lungs? As I pondered the 10 rules, I recognized how true it was that I hadn't breathed deeply in years and had substituted, subsisted on shallow breathing. I recognized how true it was that I hadn't breathed deeply in years and had subsisted on shallow breathing. If we are driven, moving constantly on automatic pilot and very task-focused, we take breathing for granted. More accurately, we forget to breathe. Prana, the word used in the second rule, is a term in yoga for breath of life. It also means vital energy. 
Increasing the flow of breath several times a day greatly enhances our vitality. In some big cities, such as Singapore, merchants have opened oxygen bars, even at the airport, to help people refill and purify the air in their lungs. Rather than substance breathing, subsistence breathing, rather than subsistence breathing, consider breathing deeply on a regular basis. It is one of the great secrets to having abundant energy for what you want to do with your life. Take this strategic step for healing whatever your malady. Take a breather. Whatever you're doing and wherever you are, take time every hour or at least every two hours to refresh your air supply. Doing so will replenish your energy flow throughout the day. Dr. Andrew Weald's highly acclaimed books, Spontaneous Healing and Eight Weeks to Optimal Health, recommend the regular practice of deep breathing. He instructs us to curl our tongues up against the roof of our mouths, a yoga position that allows full circulation of energy throughout the body. Inhale through the nose for four counts. Hold the breath for seven counts. And exhale through the mouth for eight counts. Making soft blowing noises when we exhale, keeping our tongues in the yoga position. This is a simple routine, yet this is a simple routine we can do several times a day, very unobtrusively, no matter where we are. It fills our lungs with giving life air. Exercise with grace. One of the most valuable lessons I learned from my illness was to set a pace of grace with exercise. Gentle exercise, such as yoga, is often the best choice for people whose lives are already too stressed. Exercise need not be seen as yet another arena for performance, but as a practice of nurturing ourselves. Rather than throwing ourselves into exercise the way we do with the constant pressure of activities during a busy day, let us create an and use exercise as a breather, a way to pause in the day and refill ourselves. When we are in severe fatigue, 10 to 20 minutes of gentle exercise and exposure to fresh air can rejuvenate us. Gentle ways to reju regenerate tired muscles includes restorative yoga, walking, swimming, mild water aerobics, tai chi, or other movement methods, and in some cases, moderate use of weights. Practice restorative yoga. When I saw that learning yoga was listed as the first instruction under Rule 2, 
I was worried. Because of the severe fatigue I was experiencing at the time, I could not imagine having the energy or the strength to join a class, much less drive myself there. At that point, in the first few months after the onset of the illness, I was experiencing a severe return of the original symptoms of bulbar polio, muscle weakness, stiffness, pain in my kidneys and hips, tightness of the lower back, and severe fatigue. I had had to give up driving because I would have because I would have a startle reflex when another car came along, and at times my reflexes were too slow to make a turn at the right time. To my relief, when I rang Gay Migli, a yoga instructor in our community, she offered to give me private sessions in my home. Gay taught me restorative yoga, a series of gentle exercises that anybody can practice, including a way to cleanse or wring out the kidneys. After doing the kidney twist for a week, the pain in my kidneys had disappeared and I noticed an increase in my energy. I wanted to describe some of the restorative yoga exercises here and highly recommend that you use them if you are energy challenged or if you find yourself at a point of fatigue during the day. They will help you refresh your energy at your daily low point, typically early to mid-afternoon. Number one, full rest position. Have with you a towel or yoga mat and a small pillow. Lie on the floor with your legs up on a chair, knees bent, your bottom close to the chair, and allow your legs to fall open naturally. Place a pillow under your head or rolled up towel under your neck. Close your eyes and breathe. Let your abdomen relax. Breathe from your belly. The blood will flow to your brain and the lungs, and you will find this as restorative as a power nap. Number two, downward flow. In this exercise, get on the floor with your bottom as close to a wall as possible. While lying on the floor, or on the bed, raise your legs up against the wall, bending your knees slightly if you need to, heels resting against the wall. Gradually, inch your legs wider apart without causing strain to your hips. Then, bring your legs back to center, about a foot apart. This exercise allows the blood to flow into your brain. Deep breathing a few times while in the position. Then rest. Number three, downward flow with knees bent. An alternative 
is to put your feet flat against the wall, knees bent, and lift yourself up onto your shoulders from position number two. Number four, the kidney twist. Lie on the floor on your stomach, face down on a pillow, legs straight. Roll onto your left shoulder, moving your left arm to the right to grasp your right thigh. As you move it up to a bent position, then twist onto your back and put your right arm out to the side. Keep your left leg out straight underneath your bent right leg. Hold for several seconds. Do not strain yourself. Just turn over gently. Then return to face down position and roll to the other side. Repeat the sequence. Repeat three times. Breathe deeply as you do this. Number five, the bridge. Lie on the floor with your bottom very close to a chair with legs. Grasp the legs in your hands. Put your feet on the seat of the chair, knees bent, and boost yourself up onto your shoulders, keeping your body quite straight. This is very helpful for tight muscles in the shoulder and neck as well as circulating blood and oxygen to give you a brain boost. If you do not have floor space at your workplace or would not feel comfortable getting on the floor, you can practice the following sitting exercises using your chair as a tool. Number six, open heart shoulder stretch. Sitting forward on the edge of your chair, feet flat on the ground, knees bent. Reach your arms above you and lock your fingers, palms up, stretching gently and breathing deeply. You can do this in a standing position. Number seven, hanging waterfall. Sit forward on the edge of your chair with your legs wide apart. Drop down from your waist and hang loosely, allowing your hands to rest on the floor, palms up. Allow the weight of your head to fall forward gently. Allow your spine to be stretched. Number eight. Sitting forward on the edge of your chair, place one hand on the arm of the chair the other hand on the back of the chair and gently twist your body toward the back of the chair. Then switch hands and twist it in the other direction. This stretches your lower back. Remembering to breathe while doing this. If you have a chair with no arms, just place your hand on your opposite thigh while one hand holds the back of the chair. Number nine, downward dog. 
You need a stable chair to do a standing version of the downward dog. Place both hands on the seat of the chair and walk your feet gradually backward until you're leaning forward in an inverted V with your buttocks up in the air. This stretch is good for all your joints and muscles. Bend your knees slightly. The virtue of discernment. How many a sign there is in the heavens and the earth which most men pass by and ignore. Quran 12. Sorry, Fatima, there's no other reference. Discernment is quieting our minds and sensing the truth about things. It is being contemplative and vigilant in seeking to understand what is true. When we are able to make distinctions between what is real and what is an illusion, we open ourselves to spiritual guidance. We trust our inner vision to recognize what is right for us in this moment. We observe, decide, and act with wisdom. Signs of success. I'm practicing discernment when I think clearly and calmly, resist making impulsive decisions, perceive what is really true, seek inspiration, make wise decisions, don't try to impose my will on reality. Affirmation. I am discerning. I use my inner guidance to perceive what is real and true. I cultivate my wisdom. Exercise with moderation. We need to remember to exercise as much as our bodies need but not more. We can treat exercise as addictively as anything else. The key is to know what is right for your body. My guidance in the second rule was very helpful. For me, 10 minutes a day, then 15, then 20 was just right. There have been days when I can walk for an hour or more, but if I do that several days in a row, I end up in bed. Post-polio is a relentless teacher. Kate, a woman in her 40s with two young children who lives with the fatigue and pain of fibromyalgia, told me, my garden is a source of great joy to me. Before fibromyalgia hit, I spent hours digging, planting, and weeding. It was a meditation for me and brought me out of the busiest busyness of life back to myself. I once told her, Kate, for you it is gardening, your connection to spirit. Kate gave up this soothing sacred activity for a while after fatigue took over her life. One day she decided it would do her good to get out into her garden again. She walked out into the early spring sunshine and hoed, plucked, and planted for half an hour. 
Moderation was the key, she said. I'm able to spend 30 minutes, and because it gives me joy, it is restorative for me. Individuals with muscle weakness should consult their healthcare professionals to make sure that the exercise they do is not going to cause further fatigue. Gentle swimming, walking, and isolated muscle exercises can often do a world of good. Being content with whatever we are given, including our energy level, is one of the virtues we need to cultivate. It is a danger to the health of our bodies and our souls to live without it. The challenge for someone who's in a state of severe fatigue is to exercise just enough, but not too much. By practicing the virtue of moderation in an extremely mindful way. This is a true application of a pace of grace. It is critical to discern the delicate balance between too much and too little exercise. I cannot emphasize this enough. Many people who have been ill succumb to the temptation to overdo when they begin to feel better. Kate once confessed to me she was in bed for a week after forging ahead for hours to finish a gardening project. I just kept my head down and ignored my body that day. We so want to be normal that she, that the temptation is always there to keep, give up the discipline of a pace of grace, falling back into denial and excess. It's all about energy conservation. If you withdraw more energy than you can sustain, you will deplete yourself and it will cost precious time to return to the level of energy you had before you went on your energy binge. If a person already struggling with fatigue overdoes exercise, the resulting fatigue can mean the loss of a day or even a week of energy. I found that if I walked too long, I would be unable to move off the couch the next day. Yet if I failed to have enough exercise, true to the use it or lose it principle, I would lose muscle strength and my muscles literally atrophied. The subtlety of my body, economics and energy conservation is a great teacher. An unexpected gift in learning to perceive this delicate balance is that it refines our virtues of discernment and mindfulness, so essentially to the spiritual life. The power to make distinctions, to weigh difficult decisions, to separate the wheat from the chaff, to perceive the subtle distinctions between purity of motive and ego, it awakened through mindfulness, is awakened through mindfulness of the body. I'll read that last sentence again. The power to make distinctions, to weigh difficult decisions, to separate the wheat from the chaff, 
to perceive the subtle distinction between purity of motive and ego is awakened through mindfulness of the body. Invite inspiration. When we breathe, oxygen purifies our system, releasing toxins and supplying vital nutrients to circulate throughout the body, through our blood supply. A spiritual meaning resides in breathing as well. By taking time each day for inspiration, for daydreaming, for contemplation, we invite a flow of pure awareness to sustain our souls. Judy, my beloved friend and co-spiritual director for years, has a rich prayer, has a rich prayer life with many different techniques for connecting to spirit. For quite a long time, breath was her preferred form of prayer. As she inhaled her, she held a simple mantra in her mind, such as Emmanuel, God with us. As she exhaled, she would repeat it. Judy discovered that her lung capacity actually expanded during the months. She knelt on her prayer stool to do breathing prayer. A management consultant giving a keynote talk about leadership said something that really lodged in my soul. The most creative leaders I know can often be found with their feet up on their desk, leaning back and just staring into space. Something it is in a moment of doing nothing that the great, greatest ideas come to us. Sorry, sometimes it is in a mo moment of doing nothing that the greatest ideas come to us. The word inspire literally means to breathe in. Being inspirited is being moved by the awareness of God. It is filling ourselves with divine inspiration. Calculating a habit, sorry, cultivating a habit of breathing deeply allows us to live more reverently and consciously. Stopping to breathe allows us to center ourselves mentally and spiritually. It is a spiritual practice of recovering our peace in the midst of the chaos around us. A quiet prayer, a moment of grace. Learning to be content with whatever happens with however much or little you receive. When you learn to relish each moment in your life, know that you have become steadfast in knowledge. That's a quote by Swami Chidvilansanada. Exercise grace.
breathe the breath of life. Breathe deeply several times a day. Breathe deeply by swimming, walking, or doing yoga for at least 10 minutes, more if your body is happy with more. Do the deep breathing exercise three times a day. Inhale for four counts, hold for five counts, exhale for six counts. Take a breather about six hours after you awaken. Rest when you feel tired by using one of the restorative yoga positions. For example, downward flow with legs up on a chair or wall. Take some time each day for inspiration, whether it is staring off into space or with a little more formal routine of reverence as described in chapter 12. Summary of chapter three, breathe easy, breathe deep. Center yourself physically, mentally, and spiritually throughout the day by breathing mindfully and deeply. At a regular time each day, exercise for 10 to 20 minutes, depending on where your energy level is. When your energy is low or you have fatigue, use restorative exercises such as yoga or Tai Chi to help you strengthen your muscles and regulate your breath. Cultivate your virtues of moderation and discernment to find your true balance point of just enough exercise, not too much and not too little. Watch out for denial and the temptation of overdoing. They will cost you valuable time and energy. Open yourself to inspiration every day. Caring for your body is an act of compassion opening you to a healthier, more gracious life. It can also serve as preparation for a deeper level of transformation. An even more rigorous commitment to the purification of your inner life. The next chapter offers simple steps for purifying your thinking and your language to enhance the flow of grace in your life.